Well, good morning, you guys. Um, glad you made it through the rain this morning. And it's just my joy to be with you. <clears throat> my wife, Laura, and I are here every week when we're here. Uh, we travel quite a bit. And as we just go to the Word of God this morning, I'd like for us just to open our hearts to God through prayer. So would you pray with me as we start? Father, I want to thank you that as we look at your Word today, you have promised that by the power of your Spirit, you're going to be our teacher to help us understand the things that you say. So, Father, would you just speak to us as you speak to your kids and help us to say yes to every good word that you give us. So as we come to you, Lord, we just even now say yes. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> you know, we all love a, a good story, and you may not realize it, but you're actually in a story. That story began at creation has gone through Christ and will actually finish at what we call the consummation when he returns. And what I found about stories is they help us make sense of things, make sense of life. And this story that we're in is really a critical one. And if you don't understand your part in it, then you get lost because you don't see the big picture. In fact, I have a lot of people that through the years have asked me at different ventures and different junctures in their life, how can I know what God's will is for my life? And I tell them, that's a good question, but that's still the wrong question. The right question is simply, what is God's will? Period. And then when you understand what God is doing, what his will is, what the storyline is, and specifically what he's doing in our generation, then you can ask the second question, how can my life best contribute to that story? And this is where we're going today because I want to draw for you in a few minutes a picture of the storyline of history. And when you, as a follower of Jesus, take your place in the story, the Bible calls that discipleship. So what does discipleship look like in the storyline of history? The cool thing is Jeff, in going through the book of Ephesians, has actually been helping us see some of this bigger picture. For instance, Ephesians 1, which was quite a while back, but it's still there in Ephesians 1, verse 9, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. Now, don't you like it when the Bible's clear? This is the plan. What is the plan? At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Okay, so as you start Ephesians, you begin to realize, wow, there is a plan. And the plan began before creation and has always been about bringing everything that's created, heaven and earth, everything together under the rule and reign of Christ. And then even last week, Jeff, again, in Ephesians 5, pointed us back to the plan. In Ephesians 5, even though it was talking about marriage, it's talking more deeply about Jesus. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. And now the plan is getting a bit clearer. Now it's not just that we're going to sum up everything under Christ, but here's what we're summing up. Jesus' intention from the beginning 
has always been that there would be a bride to stand right by him for the rest of eternity. He is the groom, we as his bride. In fact, that was the whole point of creation. Your father created everything for the one sole purpose of creating a bride because he loves you and he wants you to be in a loving relationship with him for all of eternity. But there's a problem. Paul says he wants a bride that's without spot or wrinkle or any sort of blemish. And frankly, right now, the bride is very incomplete. But one day, the bride will be full. In Revelation 7, as we look to the end, the consummation, it says this, Christ, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and now the plan the storyline of history of what God's doing is getting even clearer because the reason the bride is incomplete is that there are thousands of ethnic people groups around the world who still are not represented before the throne of heaven. They have their own tongues and their own customs and their own cultures. And many of them have zero knowledge of who Jesus is. And what God's about, the whole storyline of history, from creation all the way through Christ, is to gather up all of the peoples of the earth back under what we call the bride of Christ, the church, us. So that one day, when the bride's complete, then the groom can come back down the aisle and take up the bride in his arms. It's a beautiful picture. This is what God's doing. And I want to tell you, just kind of let you in on a little secret. As my wife and I have been working all over the world the last 20 years or so, What we're seeing is God sweeping across this world by the power of his spirit and he's doing the two things we saw in Revelation 7. Number one, he's just cascading people group after people group and country after country of people that before they were lost but now they are saved. Before they didn't know Jesus and now they do. It's amazing. Places where they had no knowledge of Jesus. But second, that's not enough for the bride For the bride to be complete, he wants a bride, he said, without number in Revelation. Now, there's some amazing mathematicians in this world, but the mathematicians on that day will not be able to count the number of people standing before the throne. And so what God is doing is he's not only bringing in people group after people group, both here in the States and around the world, but then he's sweeping them in in great movements of God without number. When my wife and I left the States, where we were doing church planting here in the States 20-something years ago, and we moved to East Asia with our three sons, we went to one of these people groups. They numbered one and a half million people. I would walk into a village and ask them, have you heard of Jesus? And they would say, who? What, what is a Jesus? Where do you find one of these things? What? They had no understanding. Jesus is a person, much less the Son of God. And then suddenly desperation began to overcome my heart because it wasn't just that they were lost, but there were 5,000 villages that were lost. And every one of these villages needed the gospel 
Every one of these villages needed a church. In the States, I knew how to start one church. But here, we needed to have 5,000 churches. And so I just became very desperate, and I just began to read the book of Acts over and over and over every month, saying, Lord, my understanding of discipleship is inadequate for this. My understanding of discipleship doesn't match what I see in Acts. And so, God, I'm praying that Acts would happen again in this people group here and now. We began praying that. As we began to take the first believers back to the DNA of what disciples were always meant to be in the storyline of history, something amazing took place. In the first year, when the gospel went into those mountains, 25 churches started in a place where there had never been churches before. And most of them happening not by outsiders, but by the first disciples receiving this DNA of what a disciple is and taking up the mission to go to the next village and start a new believing community of people. And then the next year, those 25 became 76. And the next year, those 76 became 175. And pretty soon we realized there was a movement of God. In fact, I sent a monthly report back to my supervisor and here's what he wrote in response. Steve, this sounds like the book of Acts. God is doing this all over the world. In the late 90s, I could count this among maybe 10 others in the world. And then in 2003, I could count 30 of these movements. In 2008, I could count 78 of these movements. Today, we're tracking over 600 of these movements of multiplying disciples and churches. God is accelerating the pace of the storyline. And the question is, what's your part in this? You see, we have a picture of the end. In the picture of the end, Jesus himself gave us in Matthew 24, verse 14. He said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And when you see that word nations, that doesn't mean China, India, United States. That word means ethnic peoples. This gospel will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all those peoples, and then the end will come. You see, the, the groom is standing at the threshold, but he refuses to come back until his bride is ready. And our role is to step into the storyline as disciples with him as our master, saying, we're going to take up our part in this story. And the cool thing is, God's accelerating the storyline because of, I think, our prayers. Think about this. Every week before his message, Jeff starts us in prayer. And when he starts us in prayer, how does he begin? Our Father, say it with me, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now stop there. For years, I thought that was the prologue to the prayer. To get to the good stuff, which is daily bread, forgive us of our sins, all of these things. Not understanding this is the heart of the prayer. The heart of the prayer, those three things you just said, all of them modified by this phrase, on earth as in heaven. What are, they, what are we praying? God, number one, let people on earth hallow or revere or worship your name so that it feels like heaven on earth. Father, cause your kingdom to come to my neighborhood, 
to my school, to my business, so that it feels like heaven on earth. And Father, cause people to want to do your will here on earth, just like the angels do in heaven. We're praying that every week. And God's listening to that prayer. This is his heart that we're praying. And because of that, God's moving powerfully, not just over there, but even here in the States. God is launching movements all around us because we're changing our understanding of what a disciple is meant to be all along. And to understand that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And as we do so, I want to actually draw with you a picture of the storyline of history. But Jesus announces it in Mark 1. So look at Mark 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. After John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel or the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now what I want to ask you to do is in the seat back or on your seat in front of you is a white card like this. I need you to grab it and find a pen. Find a pen. If there's not one in the seat next to you, there's probably one, two or three seats over. Otherwise, nudge your neighbor. Go ahead and grab one. Everyone's participating. If you can't find a white card, get a pink card. Doesn't matter. Get the fall festival card. Doesn't matter. Grab a card. And I, if you can draw this picture, two things will happen. Number one, you will have a way to explain to your friends why they live in a broken world and God's answer for that. But second, if you can draw this picture, you will understand your place in the storyline of history. And here's how we're going to start. When Jesus walked to the seashore and stood in front of these crowds, he said, the time is at hand. They had been waiting. Why? Because over here, draw on the right side a large circle with a crack down the middle. A large circle with a crack down the middle. And by the way, if you're a poor artist, would you go ahead and celebrate right now? Because that means someone can draw, copy your very bad drawing, like mine, okay? So if you are a bad artist, celebrate. Here we have a world, and I want you to write the word brokenness here. Brokenness. We would all agree we live in a broken world. Things don't work the way they're supposed to. Politics is true not working. Agencies don't seem to work. Churches seem to be broken a lot. Relationships are falling apart. Marriages are falling apart. Our personal lives are often more in disarray than they are in order. We're addicted to things we don't want to do. We don't do the things we do want to do. Things are broken. That's the world Jesus stepped into in Mark 1.14. But he announced something. He said, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. He's referring back to something that happened. So draw a large circle over here and put a crown on top of your circle. And I want you to write the word perfect design. Perfect design. Now, if you can copy my drawing, you're good. Perfect design. You see, what Jesus is saying, this isn't the way it was meant to be. It's like he's pointing to his watch saying, you've been waiting for this. Because originally, God did not design things this way. Originally, God designed you to have a perfect relationship of love with him. Originally, God designed you to have 
healthy relationships with each other. Originally, creation worked. Originally, we were in harmony in this world. But something changed from here to here. And so as you draw an arrow over here, the problem, what happened? The Bible said we went our own way. We chose to be our own kings. And the word the Bible uses for that is sin. Sin is any time we disobey God's command. We choose to go our own way. Jesus came saying, I'm announcing that there's an end to this brokenness. But many of us in the middle of our broken world, we try anything to numb the pain that comes from brokenness because brokenness is not fun. We might try working really hard, but it doesn't numb the pain. We might accumulate a lot of stuff, but it doesn't work. We might try going to church, but that alone doesn't solve the problems. We might try drugs. We might try sex. We might try relationships. But none of these things numb the pain. Why? Because the problem is sin. And none of these things solve that problem. And so the king walked by the seashore. He's pointing right here. The time you've been waiting for has finally arrived. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because from the very beginning, God said, even though I know you're going to do this, I will send to you a savior. The king will come down to earth. Jesus. And here's the amazing thing is the king came down. He lived the life according to the perfect design of the father. The way it was meant to be lived. He never sinned. And then the king said, but I know none of these attempts will solve the problem The only thing that will solve the problem is to cancel the power of your sins. So the king went to a cross. And on the cross, the king died. King Jesus died and paid the penalty for our sin so that we could come back to our father. And then after he was buried, he rose from the dead on the third day. Why? He was going to prove that he is who he was that he is the son of God. He alone can bring us back to the father. Okay, so far so good. Hold up your papers. Let's take a look at them. Everybody just wave them. I see some very bad drawings out there. That's excellent, okay? Now, here, here's, here's the deal. What did Jesus say in Mark 1.15 was the answer? Two things. One word, repent. What was the second word? Believe. So let's go ahead and just draw an arrow here. The first thing he says, I want you to turn, turn from your sin, turn from your own ways of doing things and return back to me as your savior. And second, trust, believe this good news. Now here's the exciting thing, guys. When we do that, when we turn from our sin and we trust in Christ, that results in becoming a new creation, salvation. Now, most of you here know that. But here's the problem. Most of us have stopped right there in the storyline. Many of us, for years, for 11 years as a Christian, I turned and trusted, but I'd stopped right there. I didn't know I had any more role in this storyline. And so to understand the rest of the role that we have in the storyline, we have to keep reading in this passage because immediately in verse 16, what does Jesus do? He passed along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, 
the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So here is the rest of the storyline. Because see, we get lost in the story. We're like, I'm so thrilled at the salvation I got that I didn't know there was another step to take. But Jesus said, if you're going to become a disciple, someone who's in the plan, there's two things we all must do. What was the first one? Follow. Follow. And here's the amazing thing. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit to help you learn how to go back to the perfect design. So you come to Christ. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to follow me as the master. I'm the master. You can't live according to the design without me as the king. And so the master says, follow me according to the perfect design for your relationships, for your family, for your marriage, for your work, for your school, for the way you live in your neighborhood. God had a perfect design for all of that. It's right here. Wow. But then he says, I want you to do a second thing. I want you to follow me. I want you, I'm sorry, fish. See how bad my drawing is? Fish. I want you to go back into this world, into a world of brokenness. Help people turn and trust to learn how to become followers of Jesus. And fishers have meant everyone should be living this way. That is what a disciple is. A disciple is not someone who says, ah, okay, I'm going to turn from my sin and trust in Jesus. No. A disciple takes the steps of saying, I will be a follower. No matter what my master says, the answer is yes. And no matter where he says go, I will be his fisher. Wherever he sends me, I'm about his mission. Now, can I be frank with you? For 11 years, as a Christian, I was right here. I was not willing to go to this part following Jesus. And here's why. I didn't trust him. I felt like I had one foot in the world so I could make sure I designed a plan for my life, but one foot in the kingdom because I wanted to make sure I was going to heaven. So I had one foot here, one foot over here where I was living life my way and I was miserable for 11 years. Why? Because I wasn't going back to the perfect design. And the problem I had was I did not trust the goodness of God. But when I began to realize my king created every part of me, he is perfectly loving. And when my king calls me to live his way, you will not just bring him the greatest glory, it'll actually bring me the greatest joy and fulfillment. When I realized that, I ran. I ran to him. Total surrender. I love what C.S. Lewis says. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. For years, I was far too easily pleased. But then I began to understand that the DNA of being a disciple was not 
this. It was following and fishing. I'm going to try something here. It may be a little bit crazy, but I want to ask everyone to fish in your purses, pockets, wallets, wherever you've got. I want you to find a coin. If you've got two coins, share it with a neighbor. If you can't find a coin, pull out a dollar bill. If you can't find a dollar bill, pull out a credit card. Anything with two sides, go ahead and pull it out right now. Because I'm going to teach you this morning how to do two things. First, if you can draw this picture, you can explain to anyone how they can escape their brokenness and come back into God's perfect design. But second, you can understand your place in the storyline of history. And if you can understand this coin, it will explain this part. So go ahead and pull your coin out. Everyone who's got a coin, hold it up real high. Let's see them. Very good. Okay, now on my coin, I want you to imagine that I've got on the front side a picture of the king. This is King Jesus. Now, someone asked me, where do I get one of these coins? It doesn't really have Jesus' picture on here, okay? It's just an idea, okay? You can use any coin. There's no sacred coins here. Okay, on the front side of this coin is a picture of King Jesus. And King Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, number one, follow me. I'm the king. Absolute surrender. Follow me. But then Jesus does something very audacious. He immediately turns the coin over to these brand new disciples and says, and I'm going to help you become fishers of men. In my own wisdom, I would say, well, let me, let me just hold on, Jesus. Let me soft sell this a bit. Just follow Jesus for a bit. And then later on, I'll spring on you. You've got to become a fisher of men, not Jesus. He sets the DNA of disciple from the moment people believe. Follow fish. Follow fish. Follow fish. You can't have one side of this coin with another. Recently, I was, I was in Germany, and I was working with a, a, a brother and as I shared this with him, I said to him, his, his name's Amir. I'll tell you more about him in a minute. I said to him, Amir, I said, if I wanted to give you this coin, what must you do? He said, I must take both sides. And I, so I put it in his hand, and as he was about to take it, I pulled it out. I said, but Amir, tell me, what if you only want the following, Je- the fish- the following Jesus side? You don't want the fishing for men's side. And so you want to take this coin. He tried to grab it, and I pulled it away again. But Amir, what if you only want one side? Can I divide this coin down the middle, he said, no, brother. I said, Amir, what must you do? He said, I must take both sides. You can't be a disciple without being a follower and a fisher, a follower. And you can't do it. In fact, as Jesus called these brothers and those guys were sitting in the boats and they heard that call, the first thing they did was just jump out of their boats to follow Jesus because they saw the king of glory coming by and I think the reason they did is because of what it says in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. These guys could not believe their, their luck. He's calling me. Why would I want to make mud pies in the slum when he's offering me this life? Treasure. But then the second thing is they took up the call not just to follow, but to fish. And all over the world, what God is doing is he's helping us to understand that when he gives us his Holy Spirit, it's for a mission of following him to become like our master in every way, And second, to go into a broken world as fishers of men, to love them, to help them turn and trust, to love their king with whole hearts, following him, fishing for men, generation by generation by generation. And that's what God's doing all over the world. He's starting movements 
of disciples who don't know any better. They never knew they weren't supposed to follow Jesus and fish for men. And so 13 months ago, as, as I was in Germany, I met Amir. He's a highly trained uh, Muslim teacher. He came to Greece as a part of the refugee movement to do bad things. He had a miraculous vision of Jesus and got amazingly saved. He turned and trusted. And then Jesus helped him understand, I want you to follow me wholeheartedly and fish for men. He began to run into places where there were refugees to help them understand the same message. When I met Amir, he was doing a great work. I said, Amir, I want you to understand what a disciple is so that you can understand your identity, but then you can help every new disciple understand their identity. I said, this is the DNA of discipleship. Follow fish, follow fish. I said, Amir, I'm giving you this coin and you may not spend it. It is a holy training coin. He said, oh, brother. He wrapped it in a piece of paper and put it in his wallet. I was with Amir a few months ago on discipleship. We have a discipleship meeting every week or two. And I said, Amir, do you still have your training coin? Oh, yes, brother, here it is. I train every disciple I make to follow fish, follow fish. Last month, just a few weeks ago, I was in Germany meeting with Amir, and I met his, one of his disciples named Benny. I said, Benny, what is a disciple? He pulled out a coin. Brother, Mark 1.17, everyone should follow Jesus and fish for men. He said, I cannot give you one side without the other. I said, that's amazing. Amir, have you made any disciples who've made disciples? And I want you to look at what happened. We began to draw out. Here's Amir and Benny drawing it out. Benny's at the top, the first circle. The second line are second generation disciples. And then we began to draw it out to third generation disciples. Then to fourth generation disciples. As we kept tracking it to seven generations of disciples. And here they are discussing it, looking over the map over Germany, saying, God, take this to the ends of the earth. This is your part in the storyline. You don't have to be these guys on the refugee highway. You can live in the woodlands or in Houston or in Kingwood or anywhere. But every one of you, no matter your job, this is your calling to go back into the storyline, remembering God always designed it to be perfect with him as the king. We left and went our own way through sin, which created brokenness and all of the tragedy we see in this world. We tried all of these ways of trying to numb the pain, but none of them worked because they don't solve the sin problem. But the king came to earth and announced that the kingdom of heaven had arrived. As he died and was buried after paying for our sins on a cross, he rose from the dead to prove he is the son of God. He said, we must turn from our sin and trust in him. That's the message of salvation. But the storyline doesn't stop there. Then the king says, if you're going to be my disciple, become a fervent follower of me. Yes. And yes again. And yes again. But then take up my mission to go into a broken world because people are hurting. They need to hear of the Savior's love. Don't just follow, but become a fisher of men. Here's my question to you. Where are you in this storyline? Some of you are still living over here somewhere. Have not yet done this, turning from trusting yourself to trusting Jesus. Right now is a time you can do that.
Some of you have done this, but you've stopped here inadvertently. You didn't realize there was more. And what Jesus wants you to do is, he says, I want you to trust me. I'm good. Follow my perfect design. It'll bring me the greatest glory and bring you the greatest pleasure. Some of you have done that, but you've not taken up the mission to fish for men in a broken world to help them do the same thing. I'd like for us just to pray right now and ask God to help us take the next step in this part of our discipleship. Our Father, I want to thank you that you are the author. You are writing the storyline of history from creation to Christ to one day consummation. Lord, we long to see this bride complete from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Lord, we know that won't happen until we go back to being what disciples were meant to be, to step into the storyline, to be white, hot, fervent followers, lovers of God, and then saying, I'm going to go into my workplace, into my community, into my school, and I'm going to fish for men. I'm going to help them hear this message so that they too can become followers of Jesus and fishers of men. Lord, help us. If you've not yet turned and trusted, you can just breathe out a prayer. Your Father's ready to listen. You can just simply say, Father, forgive me. I've been going my own way. I ask you right now to become my new Savior and my new Master. I trust in Jesus alone. Some of you have done that and you've received his spirit, but you're not completely surrendered. I wonder if right now as we take communion together, it would be a moment of fresh surrender to say, I am going to be completely sold out to my king. And whatever he tells me, the answer will be yes. And then I want to take up my part in his mission in this world. That's why he left me here. So Father, thank you. We love you. We love your word. In the name of Jesus, amen.